0: Hustle like you broke. Recording September three with the intention of airing one week from now, September ten. We are coming to you with another special edition. This time, our spotlight on the Roadies of Color United. So, in lieu of my usual lengthy intro, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about our founders today. You should know them already. I know many of you do, but for those who do not, we've got Casey Jackson, 40-plus years in the game. He has done almost everything backstage, front of house, monitors, electronics, backline, programming. He's been a carp. He's been a stage manager, production manager, worked with Earth, Wind & Fire, Chris Brown, Justin Bieber, Patty LaBelle, Mary J. Blige, on and on and on. And then Bill Reeves, also 40-plus years in the business. Primarily, as I understand, as a touring and production manager, everyone from Prince to Luther Vandross, Stevie Wonder, Barry White. On our last episode, we actually had Huggy Carter. And when we told him that Bill and Casey were up next he said glowing things about both of you gentlemen. He was so glad that we had you on board. He had nothing but amazing things to say about the work that you guys are doing. The Roadies of Color United, for anyone that has been under a rock, was formed in 2009 with the purpose of creating a place where professionals can unite, network, promote, and collaborate with the goal to create a more diverse and inclusive industry. Given the fucked up state of the world today, we've been hearing more and more about them. I'm sorry that's part of the reason why, but I am so glad for the work that you guys are doing. So without further ado, I've got Kyle, I've got Dallas. Sorry to say that Banks isn't with us again today, but uh, Bill, Casey, thank you for being with us. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having us. Appreciate the, uh, appreciate the opportunity.
0: Absolutely. No, we, we, are, we are privileged to have you among us. I know that uh, we tried to get you a couple times and you guys have been busy, so we appreciate you fitting us in. I usually like to give Kyle and Dallas a voice before we, we just dive into the conversation. So, Kyle, any thoughts for today, please?
2: Good evening. That's my thoughts
0: Keeping it brief Dallas
2: Yes, I'll keep it brief as well Good evening and Make sure you register to vote And then vote Thank you
0: There it is So briefly Casey, starting with you Why don't you give us just a little bit On who you are, what you do Other than what I just said and, uh, and Bill, we'll move on to you with the same before we jump in and let you tell us about the Roadies of Color United and what's going on there.
2: Uh, you pretty much covered quite a bit of it, but then once again, here you go. Uh, my name is Lance Jackson. My friends call me KC. You guys can call me KC. Uh, that's a story for another time. I am currently the production stage manager for the legendary group Earth, Wind & Fire. And like everybody else right now, um, we're on pause until the pandemic kind of lightens up. I am one of the co-founders of Roadies of Color United International, along with Bill Reeves, and it's a pleasure to be on your show.
0: Appreciate that. Bill, talk to us.
1: Hello, everybody. My name, as you've probably figured out, is Bill Reeves. I've been uh, touring since 1975 or four. I'm a little blurry on that because it was so very long ago. Um, I've started life as a lighting guy. Excuse me. Went on to become a lighting director and very... As I I like to joke, uh, the major mistake of my career, um, I got a job as a lighting director. And then the guy who was um, doing the hiring said he was also looking for a, what he said was a stage manager, but in fact was a production manager. And I said, well, how much does that job pay? And he told me, which and this is 1977 or so, so it was like you know $500 a week, which seemed like a princely sum to me. I said, "Well, I'll do that job too." And uh, so that was uh, te- an artist by the name of Teddy Pendergrass, <coughs> excuse me, who I ended up spending, I guess, four four years with until his unfortunate accident, and I. Uh, never really got back to being a lighting director. I've been a production manager slash tour manager ever since. Um, Currently working, actually currently and for the last 13 years or so, I've been working with an artist by the name of Anthony Hamilton. Um, But I've also worked in the intervening 30, 40 some odd years as you said, with uh, Prince Luther vandross, uh, D'Angelo, Maxwell, Anita Baker um, and others too numerous to mention at this time. Uh, in 2009, uh, Casey and I Casey and I have known each other since I think the early 80s um, and we've worked numerous numerous tours together. so we've been, Friends and colleagues for, uh, you know, 30, 30 years, I guess, or something like that. So he and I were having a conversation one day um, <clears throat> about um, the fact that uh, we'd never saw roadies of color, people of color, represented in the uh, in the media of the, to- of the day, uh, like PLSN or, <clears throat> excuse me, those kinds of magazines. Um, my joke was that if an Alien had come down uh, to the earth and was trying to figure out what the concert production business was about and started looking at the trade magazines and, and the media of the day, they would never know that black people lit, existed in this business because it was always pictures of white people. So we determined to uh, form a a group called Roadies of Color, just to sort of, as you said in your intro, um, you know, make make a more diverse, more diverse representation of this business. Um, and then more, uh, more specifically to open up job opportunities, a more diverse job opportunity, because in this business, as we all know, you tend to hire who, you know, that's the way this business works. That's the way every, probably most businesses work is you hire who, you know, so, excuse me, can't get rid of this frog. Um, There are two worlds in the concert production business. There's the white pop world, and then there's the black R&B world. And uh, they, they rarely intersect. I mean, they do a little bit, obviously. We all know that there's white guys that work on black tours, and of course there's black guys that work on white tours. But for the most part, they're kind of two separate worlds uh in terms of particularly in terms of crews and hiring practices on the production side so so casey and i thought that would be that's an area that probably should be corrected and um and that's why we started the that's why we started the group and then of course In the recent days with uh, the pandemic, which put us all on a full stop in our various careers, and coincidentally with the killing of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, it's given everybody in this business, well, everybody in the country really, uh, but more specifically in our business, pause to consider the state of 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 things particularly as they regards the racial equality so i guess we turned out to be the 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 right organization with the right name you know at at the right time as somebody told me uh, this is a few weeks ago we're we're currently like the pretty girl at the dance um, because everybody, not everybody, but the majority of the business is examining their suppositions and their practices. And they look up and here's a group called Roadies of Color. And, and that's one of the reasons why we have been more prominent of late. So as you said in, in, in your open, our our purpose is to... Is twofold, really. One was to um, foster a sense of community amongst people of color who are in the uh, concert production business, and that's just for the sense of community, networking, fellowship, exchange of ideas, exchange of knowledge, um, those those kinds of uh, those kinds of pursuits. And then more specifically, our mission, our goal, I suppose, is to encourage the diversification of the hiring practices in the concert production business so that there's more and better job opportunities for people of color and a more diverse representation on touring crews. not only for black artists but for white artists for country artists for hip-hop artists for polka artists for whoever whoever needs a crew uh there's a there's a large large group of very talented very qualified people out there uh who don't always get asked or called for these jobs because Nobody knows they exist. One of the things when we started this, um, and particularly recently, in conversations with with uh, <clears throat> other tour managers and uh, production managers of good intention, who always said, who say, well, I would love to get more Black people or people of color, or I'd like to get a more diverse uh crew on my next tour but i don't know where to go i don't know any black people you know so that's that's why because we always hire who we know if you don't know anybody then you don't hire them so that's that's the that's our current project is to remedy that by putting out a database of our membership that will um include their qualifications and and their their uh resume credits which will be vetted by our staff so that if somebody's looking truly to diversify their crew and in their hiring practices they can no longer say well geez i'd love to hire somebody but i don't know anybody well pick up our database and then you'll find plenty of people so you don't have that excuse anymore. So that's that's the work we're currently engaged on. We had our first. It's it's. I'm still unsure of how to say it. We had our first conference, which was our celebrating our tenth anniversary. So, it was either our tenth anniversary conference or our first annual conference, uh, in February. Which seems like last year i always want to say last year and then i realized that was only in february that we had our conference um very successful had um uh, uh, i don't know 150 160 people which is all we really wanted to do um and in atlanta and we're in the midst of pre- preparing to put up our next conference for next february and then of course everybody got slammed to a dead halt um but that was our first step towards sort of getting ourselves figured out as a group and, and sort of acquiring our self-identity as an organization. And I think I've talked enough.
0: <laughs> no, I think we're just getting started, but you gave us a lot. and <clears throat> I, I want to point out for our viewers that one of the things Huggy talked about Um, And and said in reference to you, gentlemen, was he talked a lot about mentorship, and he talked about the importance of bringing people along, and certainly that's an emphasis that you guys also uh, clearly embody and take seriously, and the development of this database is fantastic, and hopefully our listeners will all check it out once it is up. Uh, I, I mean, if you can tell us right now, just real quick, Um, where would we find that link so that we can post it and where are our viewers going to go to see that if it is up and active currently?
2: We uh, maintain um, a couple of web presences. Uh, Our main website is roadiesofcolorunited.com. There's a link there on the site in the main menu that refers to the membership page which is currently under development but it has a unique uh url which is rocku r-o-c-u and that's pronounced rocku r-o-c-u dot tours t-o-u-r-s we also have a presence on twitter under rocu 2016 and we're also on instagram Those are, and of course, our main social network is um, on Facebook. We're actually a Facebook group. And from our main website, there's also a link to our social network on the Facebook group. And we also maintain a Facebook page. But those are the places where you will be able to access um, the database. And just to be clear um, about the database, it is actually a roster of will, will be a roster of our membership. We're in the process of finalizing the paperwork to establish Roadies of Color United as a 501c6 nonprofit professional association. We want to take the next step from being just a social network. Currently, we have um, 1,090, almost 1,100 subscribers to our social network and we would like to like I say take it to the next step and actually establish a professional association something a little bit more formal and something requiring a little bit more um, commitment for like-minded people who want to improve the conditions that we work in uh, help to foster that more diverse and inclusive industry and it's not just people of color we're also very sympathetic to uh, empowering women, people in the LGBTQ community as well. Uh, we're not turning anybody away, and to some people's surprise, even though the name is somewhat misleading, um, Roadies of Color United, we have we have quite a, a diverse uh, following of like-minded people who subscribe to our social network, which is a good thing. <clears throat> And as Bill mentioned, with, um, as a result of the Floyd murder, um, people's consciousness have been touched to the point where there's conversations that are being had now that would not have been had had probably that incident not occurred. And it's more, it's more inclusive conversation. Uh, We haven't seen a major impact on diversity because nobody's working to be able to actually see that. But if there are conversations, any indication of what will happen when things open up, I I remain very optimistic. Some of the things that we're we're looking to try to encompass with creating the professional association, which will be uh, a subscription-based membership. Members would pay dues we'll have two levels of membership. We'll have a pro level, which requires that that individual to apply to become a professional level member has to have um, two years of cumulative road experience. You know, whatever they did, however long they did it, long as it adds up to at least two years that can be verified, they can come in as a professional member. If you fall short, of that two years of cumulative experience, we would welcome you in as an associate member with the opportunity to accumulate the time, upgrade your status as a full professional member. Uh, We would offer mentorship to those associate members as well as the pro members that, you know, everybody doesn't know everything. And I think that mutual exchange of information, we can mentor each other. Uh, Advocacy would be one of the number one things to try and improve our overall situation, uh, be a voice at large uh, for our membership, uh, building and sustaining the community that we established and taking it to another level. Uh, Bill mentioned the listing in the database. The listing originally was, and eventually we'll circle back to it, When we came out of our conference, we thought that it would probably be a great idea to create a directory of minority-owned production companies, lighting companies, sound companies, video companies. Um, The companies that supported our conference were all minority-owned. And I had never really heard of any of those companies up until we did our event. And It's like, well, I wonder who else didn't know about these companies because they did a great job. Anyway, we, we got redirected after the Floyd murder because, as Bill mentioned, people kept saying we would hire more people of color. We just knew where they were. So we decided to redirect our emphasis on personnel as opposed to companies. But the people who would be listed in that directory or database will actually be people who sign up and become members of Rhodes of color professional Association. Uh, We'll be looking to try and push an educational program and also certifications for our members. These will be both pro and associate members. Uh, We have created some collaborations with uh, the Event Safety Alliance, who offer a couple of different training programs. Uh, We have been talking to a group that's called EVEN. It's the Event Vocational Educational Network. And I think that this is going to be uh, a very important collaboration because they're networking with a lot of companies, vendors, uh, a lot of resources out there to be able to provide training for people coming into the business, as well as people who are currently established in in the business. Their focus is going to be mostly on, on a younger generation coming out of high school. Not everybody wants to go to college. And going after people in college, you kind of miss a generation. So one of their main emphasis is going to be on people coming out of um, college. Then the last thing um, is going to be an outreach program. And we're going to be targeting uh, as well, historically, uh, black colleges or HBCU colleges, uh, theater departments, the purpose of the program will be to acquaint college students who are interested in the career in a technical theater with the possibilities and opportunities that exist in the concert production industry, as well as any industry there. Sorry, as well as any other related industries uh, connected to the live entertainment and production side of the business. Um, we are pretty close to finalizing our paperwork for our 501c6. And at that point, we will officially start uh, entertaining applications for membership to our organization.
0: Well, I would encourage all our listeners to pay attention. I know I, for one, am already a subscriber. I assume all of us on this podcast here today are and uh, I hope that uh, you guys have continued success with that. But we're not done here, so I actually want to back it up to something Bill you said a few minutes ago, and and I'm, I'm I feel a little weird about it I, when you said somebody came up to you and referred to you guys as the pretty girl at the dance. I I'm very conflicted about that. It's I I'm, I'm not sure if that I'm, I'm sure it was intended as a compliment, but part of me thinks man, that's like undermining the 10 years of work that you guys have done so far to call attention to the situation. Or maybe it's just highlighting the existence and the level of racism that is systemic in the concert industry and in this country and in the world. Um, I mean, tell us, Am I first of all, am I wrong to feel that way? And second of all, can you tell us a little bit about any changes that you have seen in the 10 years since you formed the organization?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I, I don't know if you, I mean, you're entitled to feel the way you feel, but uh, we took it as a compliment. I mean, the context of, the, of that particular remark was um, about, I guess, a month ago, we started to, well, no, maybe a little better. You know, whatever. Sometime since we all got slammed to a halt, um, we started, we being roadies of color, primarily me and uh, KC, started getting all of these requests for symposiums and webinars and interviews. Um, we, um, I was named one of the 50 impact people on Polestar's Impact 50 um, issue recently. Um, we had articles in PLSN, uh, articles in Polestar. None of this had happened in our previous nine and three quarters years of existence. And, uh, and, and so that remark came out of the fact that, you know, we're, we, at that moment, and I guess still continuing, you know, as evidenced by our being on this podcast today, um, have a higher profile than we had before, because the attention of the industry and of the country has shifted in the direction of examination of systemic racism that's sort of baked into our culture, our lives, our businesses, everything we do. And this, there's been this this moment of revelation uh, for us all, and uh, th- we were suddenly very popular and um, and had a much higher profile than we had previously. So yeah, so we're the pretty girls at the dance. You know, we were previously standing on the side of the, uh, you know, we were the wallflowers at the dance and metaphorically i guess the dance would be just life in this business you know as we roll along and now because of these confluence of events uh we have a much much higher profile and a higher q rating so we took it as a i mean it's a joke you know we all of a sudden we're doing webinars and symposiums and giving interviews and writing articles and being solicited to collaborate with other groups um, none of which had happened um, prior to the pandemic and the and the rise of black lives matter so so I we take it as a compliment or it's just a joke it's it's nothing personal does it speak to the uh, and and yes it speaks to... The previous nine years, when we existed and kind of undercover existence, and nobody other than our membership, which was quite small at the time, uh, for the first few years, our our membership in the social media group hovered in the uh, you know in the hundreds. We had a couple of three hundred members sort of loosely organized members, and then obviously in more recent times, now that we have a higher profile, our membership shot up past 1,000, heading towards 11, 1,200, and probably still rising. So there's no doubt that this, um, this moment in time has enhanced our, our profile and our uh, visibility. Which I suppose is, 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 it is what it is, you know? And what, like I keep saying, the one thing that we discovered, um, in this recent days is that they're in this organ, in this industry, most people are people of good intentions. And when, I, you know, when I'm, and I'm speaking of the production managers, the tour managers, managers, promoters, as well as crew members, um, uh, we're a, a pretty liberal bunch as as a, as a group of people in the in show business. You know, show business itself is a pretty liberal uh, business, uh, and we consider ourselves to be cooler than the average Yahoo on the street because we're we're in rock and roll, and we got lights, camera, action, sex, drugs, rock and roll, blah blah blah. So, we're pretty self satisfied in that regard. And no one up to this point, because we've been all so busy, because we're always busy, we're working, we got emails to send, planes to catch, shows to put up, um, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody really had a moment to stop and examine themselves or some of their assumptions and address the reality of systemic racism, which exists obviously in the country as well in this business. And systemic racism means that it's racism that's so baked into the system that half the time nobody is really aware of it. And now people are. So that's what's happening in this moment. And, and we're we're happy for that. I mean, we're happy for this moment for people to actually think about what their assumptions are and what their preconceptions are and think about whether that cannot whether that is correct or can't or should be changed or or just what do you think about it, you know, because one of the things that we early days when we put this thing together. We used to say, and and I think I said when we first started, there's two worlds. There is the white pop uh, rock and roll world, and then there is the black R&B hip hop world. And one of the things that uh, we wanted to address is the baked in assumption that uh, if you are, let's um, let's take Kyle for an example. Kyle is an excellent, excellent engineer. He's He can do anything when it comes to audio engineering. But for years, the assumption has been or would have been that because he's a black guy and because he's done a bunch of R&B and hip hop groups, he really couldn't be an audio engineer for like a hard rock group. You know, all yeah. right. Um, he couldn't be, you know, he could be a great engineer for, uh, and I don't, I, excuse me, Kyle, I don't know your resume that well, but let's just say he could be slamming Chris Brown, he'd be killing Beyonce, but could he do Metallica? No, because he's a quote unquote black audio engineer. You know, he's a R and B engineer, and of course, Kyle is an audio engineer. Period. That's what he does. That's what he doesn't matter what's coming off the stage. He's going to put it in his board. He's going to mix it. He's going to send it out through the speakers. And it doesn't really mean that because he's a black guy and he's only done R&B groups that he can't do a country act or he can't do a rock act. That's, that's just bullshit. But that's the baked in assumption that we've all been dealing with. In this business, if you are one thing, you can't be the other. If you're a R&B guy, you can't really be a rock guy. Which, on when you think about it, makes no sense at all. Because if you have the skills, if you have the skill set uh, to you know light it, audio you know engineer it, build it, whatever, then that's a skill set that applies equally right across the board you know rock groups don't have different different pas and they don't have different lighting rigs they, you know we all we all deal with the same gear so if you could deal with that gear effectively then you should be able to deal with that gear effectively for whoever or whatever kind of artist uh, happens to be on the stage in front of you at the time so, that sort of systemic racism that we've had in this business is something that we're trying to, uh, trying to combat, and it works both ways. You know, it's it's not just uh, all the white guys won't hire the black guys. It also works the other way. Sometimes black artists don't hire white artists, or or more importantly, and I've actually had this happen to me with an artist. Um, told me he didn't want when we were putting a tour together. this is a black artist, a very prominent black artist who, uh, had recently, uh, learned how to play guitar and had decided he was now a rock and roll, uh, guy instead of a straight R and B guy. So when we were looking for audio engineers, he told me he wanted a white rock and roll audio engineer. Um, because that's the kind of sound he wants, He wanted to uh, put on the stage. Because I had recommended to him a couple of, uh, of uh, Black audio engineers, because as usual, I was trying to hire who I knew, and I know Black guys, so I recommended a couple of Black guys. And he said, no, 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 I want a white rock and roll guy, because that's the kind of music I want to do. Which was kind of funny because really, when you listen to his music, it's it's straight up R and B. But that's but his perception. His perception was that he wanted a more rock sound, so he wanted a rock audio guy, and specifically a white rock audio guy. So that's kind of uh, that's the reverse of the issue. You know, that's the other side of the issue that that we're talking about here.
0: Well, so many thoughts just <clears> through my head as you were saying that before. One of them was Huggy, who actually, instead of saying, when you see a black audio engineer, you assume that he works in hip hop or r and as opposed to rock and roll, Huggy took it a step further and said, you, the assumption is he's actually a tech because he's not qualified to be an operator, which, I mean, has its own implications right there. Oh, yeah. Um, the, another thing that crossed my mind, we, we talked to Patrick Deerson, a designer, who made the interesting comment. Those of us that work in the business might not think about this, but he said, you know, the when people go to a show, people who don't work in our business, they assume that we're all just a bunch of, like, raggedy white guys in black who put a mic stand at center stage every once in a while. And that's all they know, yeah. all of which speaks to the larger point that you made which is you know for all the liberalism for all the well intentions of those that are in the industry it comes down to and and it sounds like you're saying it comes down to ignorance as opposed to simple ill intent
1: i yeah and i agree i agree i you know i think the bulk of i think the bulk of humanity to be honest but more specifically the bulk of the people in this business are well-intentioned, you know, and reasonably liberal. I don't think there's, you know, of course there's knuckleheads everywhere, but I think the bulk of the people who work in this business are are liberal, you know, forward-thinking, well-intentioned people who, if you ask them, were they racist, would say, absolutely not. I'm not racist. There's not a racist bone in my body. Uh, and consciously, that is the case. However, the the the, uh, the 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 poison that is system systemic racism racism is that it's so baked in that you're not even aware um, as an individual that you're sort of buying into those assumptions or those those fault and in many cases those false assumptions like you said huggy said if you walk in the bill, i mean i i remember uh it's nuts that it happen so much anymore because i've been around so long but uh, but when i first started touring as a production manager and if i walked you know i'm walking in the building at eight a o- roll off the bus walk in the building at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, And I happened to be looking for the uh, the steward or the promoter rep or you know, whoever my building contact was for that day. If I remember a couple three times when I would walk in the building and happened to be walking with the bus driver who's also coming in the building with me, or the truck driver who's coming in the building, because we all just got there at the same time. Walk up to the steward, and the steward makes the assumption that the, the bus driver, the white bus driver that I, who's standing next to me is the guy in charge, um, you know, until I would open my mouth to disabuse him of that, of that, of that thought. But that happened, that used to happen on a regular basis uh, that the people who saw me didn't I mean, it just automatically assume that I was the bus driver, and that the bus driver was the production manager because I'm black and he's white. And I would absolutely guarantee you, there's not a black guy on the road today, and particularly who's been there for a while. And I'm sure Kyle has about a thousand stories um, yeah. that, had, that doesn't have that didn't have those same experiences not because necessarily the steward was a card-carrying racist, although in earlier days in the South that might actually be the case, uh, but because of the baked-in assumption that um, Black guys are less than or not as capable of and certainly aren't aren't uh, capable of being in uh, executive positions and, you know, Positions of be the lead guy to be the engineer, be the tour manager, production manager person, particularly being a production manager, because um, there's there's groups that the tour manager, you know, which in the old days we'd call a road manager, might be the artist's friend or buddy or pal, and not really that uh, conversant with the um, Intricacies of putting a show together, but a production manager, by obviously, has to know a lot about lights and sound and rigging and trucks and buses and mechanical stuff and electrical stuff and and that's a lot of stuff you got to know. And uh, the assumption was, and I suspect still is in some quarters, that you know that's an intellectual. Uh, capacity that might be beyond the reach of of, of uh, people of color. Um, and that is one of the things that we're trying to combat. And like I said, that's why we want to get this database out to show people that there's a lot of people that have as much experience and as as good a qualifications to do it like you know like Kyle. Kyle an excellent excellent engineer. He happens to be black, but he's also a first-class engineer. Um, I've been doing this job for 30, 40 years. So I'm probably a pretty decent production manager slash tour manager. Otherwise, I wouldn't keep getting hired. And I wouldn't I wouldn't have lasted for uh, 14 years with this artist and 10 years with that artist and two or three tours of that other artist. Um if I wasn't I wasn't pretty competent in in my job, so we're trying to disabuse the larger world of this thought that people of color, uh, roadies, specifically roadies of color, are uh, less qualified or less capable or less than um, our white brothers and sisters.
2: I wanted to jump in on the second part of the question you originally had asked about over the period of time what's changed hmm. uh, i did my first tour in 1978 and it was sort of a fluke i actually auditioned uh for a position which i tell people that and they're like you auditioned it's like yes i auditioned i actually was working at studio instrument rentals in the audio department and i was at the time the only black person working at sir on sunset I guess probably took me three months before I even realized that. It, it, it was cool because up until uh, somebody uh, uh, said a joke and it was kind of funny and then I realized that they were talking about black people. The joke was about black people and I'm there laughing with them and I'm the only black person in the room. So that kind of, kind of just made me aware to kind of stay on point. But as far as working there, It was seamless. I was just one of the other guys. I don't feel like I was mistreated, looked at any kind of special way. But anyway, long story short, I ended up meeting a guy with a band rehearsing at SIR. And he had mentioned that we need to get more black engineers into this business. And would I be interested in auditioning or auditioning sound engineers? So after work, I would go sit in a room you would get to mix a couple of songs, guys would be playing, and a couple of the members of the band would come and sit and listen, they would take some notes, go back up, another one would come out and listen. At the end of the night, they would tell you, you could come back, or we'll give you a call. So I ended up being like second runner-up for a tour that I actually didn't get. Uh, me and the other last guy, he had road experience, so they hired him. And I was like, cool. I was just thrilled that I got a chance to go and do that, but... A couple months later, I got a phone call. That guy lost his job, and I ended up coming out and taking his place as a front-of-house engineer on the Commodore's Platinum Tour, 1978, uh, for a group called LTD. If you're familiar with Jeffrey Osborne, he was the lead singer in LTD. My production manager was a white guy back then. You know, and it was kind of interesting because when they when he called me. To come out, I had actually gone home for my first vacation since I had moved to California, which I moved in 76 out there. I got to come home in 78. They didn't have cell phones or anything, but when I called to check in at home, I was told that there was a a bunch of calls from the same person, something about some band that I auditioned with. And it turned out, like I said, my white production manager uh, hired me Told me, like, you know, when you get back to L.A., we got a plane ticket for you, and I came out. Things were a lot different back then. You know, um, consoles were, like, really huge. Um, You probably could lay out on it, and probably your feet, because I'm kind of short, and my head wouldn't touch the ends of it. But there used to be those jokes, you know, like, hey, do you know why this console is so big? So that you can get two niggers behind it to operate it. Things like that. And we played places... Bill can um, verify this. We played the Chitlin Circuit back then. The markets were different. The routing was different. Um, Hadesburg, Mississippi, we're talking like deep, dark south. Um, And it it was kind of different. Anybody who's been around for a few years will remember Mr. Woody at the Mid-South Coliseum. most black tours the majority of people that were staffing black tours were were black people and most people staffing white tours were white people because we were just coming out of segregation for the most part you know and the, the mentality in the business was still pretty much thoroughly segregated i mean almost all of the major companies touring companies were white companies, but most of the personnel, you know, staffing the black tours were black, most of the um, white tours were white. I think it wasn't for me until like the mid 80s that I actually uh, started seeing some activity where I was working for um, white tours. I actually did um, Frisco Jones from General Hospital, Jack Wagner. I actually was a guitar tech on his tour. I did guitars and keyboards on that tour. Uh, The white Shirley Jones, I did some dates with her. Uh, 1990, I think over time things started changing. The integration started happening. People started feeling a little bit more comfortable, not in the kind of numbers that would be representative of a diverse industry, but it was starting to loosen up. New Kids on the Block, 1990, um, a few years ago, I did Justin Bieber's uh, Believe Tour. It, it's it's a doable concept, but back then it was kind of inconceivable. And over the period of the 10 years, figure 2009 to now, I think each year it gets a little better. You know, And then you stumble across people who you didn't realize was there. We had the privilege of meeting Jerome Crooks uh, a few weeks ago. He's the tour director for Nine Inch Nails. He's a black man. You know, he also uh, does Tool. So there's people who have been in some cool places, and we're just trying to—I don't know—enhance that
1: experience. Yeah, move but, that, move that thought along.
2: Yeah, and, and, and in contrast, though. <laughs> To answer that other question, I think that the business has come a very long way from where it was 1978 to 2009 and then 2009 to the present. You know, I think, you know, it's come a very long way.
1: Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, we're still not living in the 70s. Um, But it's not where we haven't got to where one we one of the things we say about roadies of color is that we are trying to get to a point where we don't need a group called roadies of color we're trying to move ourselves out of a out of existence so you know the the ultimate goal the the shining city on the hill would be that it would not color would not be a conversation or a consideration um, in, in hiring and staffing. It just, would, our, it, you know, and that's obviously, that's the, that's the utopian it, uh, vision that, you know, we would hope that that's what the whole country gets to. That's what the whole world gets to, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
2: So our, our, our original motto on our original site was, what side of the dollar bill do you look at when you spend it? I mean, think about it. When you take a dollar bill out of your wallet, something costs a dollar. Do you look at what side of it is up or down when you pass that dollar off?
1: No, of course, of course not.
2: So our thing was, why should it matter what color are you are? What color are you? If you can do lights, you can do lights. If you do sound, you can do sound. It's more about your, your skill level and your stagecraft. Or that's what the conversation should be about. But our original motto on our website, we don't have it on there anymore, but our original motto, uh, motto was, what side of dollar, of the dollar bill do you look at when you spend it? And most people say that, you know, I don't. So why would you why would color be the issue when you want to hire a qualified person to you want the person that could do the best job? That should be the the type of thinking and as Bill said the ultimate goal is to create a situation where there's no need for a group called roadies of color
0: so let me ask you this then say we get past the pandemic sooner than later you're 10 years in I love where your head is in terms of where it's going what's the 10 year plan from here how do we get there
2: uh, we do it one day at a time. I think that we um, in, enhance the communication. I think a lot of the progress that was made was through uh, positive communication. I don't know about Bill, but where I'm at, I'm 64 years old. I spent most of my adult life out here. Um, I was on a road when my daughter was born. You know, I was a real diehard kind of kind of guy. That What I hope that we're doing, that will... Go through that ten years, twenty years, uh, hopefully to perpetuity, is the seed that Bill and I are trying to plant. Um, we don't want to uh, create a union. There's unions out there, you know. Uh, there's a couple of good unions, you know. If anybody asks me the best union to join, I'll tell them uh, join the IBEW because you have a job off the road as well as on the road. You know, not everybody makes seventy-five dollars an hour, but by creating a professional association, I think that we could create uh, a grooming process for younger people coming in. I think in the end, what will last past us is a legacy or that seed that we plant. that we can be positive role models to show people that, you know, up into your advanced years that you could enjoy doing this, you know, uh, and get paid, see the world without having to carry a gun. Um, Have your cake and eat it, too. Uh, Open up doors that weren't open to us when we came through, uh, relationships with manufacturers, vendors, uh, for that continued training, uh, to know how to operate the latest board, be able to get around the latest lighting console, uh, troubleshoot things down to the component level to enhance that stagecraft. But most importantly is to level the playing field that the competition for a job is more about knowledge than where you came from and what color you are. So for all of our associate members coming in, you know, we're, we're trying to work out a syllabus for this training and education that one hand knows what the other is doing. Everybody's kind of coming in on an even playing field. This is where uh, you, you can start evening up the pay because there's disproportionate the, uh, what one group will pay you to do the same job that you just did on your last tour, which might even entail more hours. That all of this stuff over time will start to get adjusted to where it actually starts to make sense. But in the 10 years that are coming, I would like to, like I say, uh, provide a, a positive path of empowerment You know that is inclusive and diverse for the next generation that's coming behind us.
0: So I love everything that you just said. And actually, where you reference unions and what have you, we've talked on this program about what we believe, our belief that there should be some sort of, not so much a governing body, not necessarily a union, but an organization that has oversight about the entire industry that can bring best practices and higher standards overall into the industry. And uh, I, I, I suppose my my only offering to what you said, or my only addition to what you said is, uh, if, if and when any such body like that happens, I think that whatever state the Rhodes of color united is in, you should have representation there, that there should be, Acknowledgement of the need for improved standards, and you know, just looking at diversity overall, as you've talked about, not just black and white, but women, you know, HBC, uh, not HBCU, um, LGBTQ, LGBTQ, thank you, etc. All you know, absolutely has a place and a need within the industry, just for sake of just general progress and advancement of of thought, of of representation of the world.
1: Yeah, that's actually uh, the the, and, and we we should have brought that up earlier. What you said, best practices and standards. One of the things that we have just been discussing in to, internally and with some of the other conversations we've had is that one and and to, well, let me back up half a step. You said uh, what's changed in the last you know 10 or 20 or 30 years whatever um, one of the major changes in this business overall is the increasing corporatization of the business when we all first started in the 70s or the 80s whenever we first started it was more of a wild wild west cowboy kind of thing and as we know as the years have gone by the business as a whole has become more corporate um you know the uh the financial side is now ruled by accountants and lawyers where it used to be just the promoter and the the tour manager would you know after the show go to the box office put a big pile of cash on the table and figure out who who's who got to get what part of that pile of cash now of course First of all, we don't deal in cash; it's you know cashless. Uh, but also, uh, we we are a more corporate uh, business than we were originally. Um, but what we don't have, along with the corporatization of the business and the finances, is a, a and what we should have, and I think what we are developing is an emerging. Um, set of practices, standards, and qualifications. Um, Before, in the old days, you didn't need to know anything to get a job on the road. If you were a pal, said, hey, we need somebody to come help load the gear, you know, there's a lot of people working today that got into the business, um, sort of backed into it uh, because they had a van and their buddy was in a band and they needed somebody to use, they needed to use the band to haul the gear around. And now that person who used to haul the gear around in his van is now a tour manager or an audio engineer or lighting director or whatever. Um, you know, you didn't really need to have any knowledge base to get a job in this business. And if you worked hard and you had some kind of, uh, of uh, aptitude. Appl- a- ap- aptitude, not aptitude, Aptitude, whatever that word is. Aptitude, yes. aptitude. Um, you could progress well. What we see happening, and you you mentioned what's happening in the next ten years. I think what we will see happening is the development of a set of standards and practices, qualifications, certifications, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so that to get a job, you need to know certain things. Um, You need to have a demonstrated ability to uh, uh, and knowledge of your particular area of expertise. And I see that as something that we'll see more and more of over the next 10 years. And that's something that I'm pretty sure um, Rotas of Color and the various other organizations like the Event Safety Alliance will be instrumental in establishing because that's just the way that is um, One of the things that you know we talk about is in addition to um, your qualifications of what you know you know knowing how to deal with whatever it is you're supposed to deal with is how do you get along with people that you're going to be living and working with in close quarters for 16, 18 hours a day for the next, weeks months or years which is a real big component of uh of how you get hired or why you don't get hired because if you're you could be the best engineer or the best ld in the world but if you're a dickhead and you're an asshole and everybody hates you you're not going to get as many jobs as you would otherwise conversely you may not be the best guy at your job but if everybody loves you You and you do at least a reasonable job, you're probably going to get called back to do another job. So, uh, we don't have an HR department in this business. We, if something is funky on a personal level in on the tour, we don't have a you know a human resources department we can go to to complain or to resolve issues. So, those are the kinds of things that I see developing or that need to be developed over the next 10 years.
0: Well, I certainly hope you're right. I agree with everything that you just said. You guys have been fantastic guests with us today. Truth be told, Kyle just had to dip out because he was late for a gig he was going to. Uh, We are over an hour in, and frankly, I feel like we could go on and on, but rather than taking too much more of your time, I'd love to welcome you guys come back, keep us posted on what else is happening uh, with yourselves, with Roadies of Color United, however we can help and support you guys going forward. And uh, with that in mind, if there's any other parting shots, thoughts, or wisdom you'd like to impart, Casey, perhaps you, if you wanna go first.
2: Um, I I would just pass this on. um, For people who are in the business, uh, I think some of the best advice that was given to me over my career uh, is you're only as good as your last show. You know, that you should maintain your integrity every time that you walk into the venue. You know, it's a new day. Um, Put on a fresh perspective for that day. Don't be complacent.
1: And and I would add, um, you know, this whole conversations that we have had today, and that all of us, as an industry, have been having over the last couple of months, um, the the one thing that that worries me is that when we get back to business, um, this will all sort of disappear because we'll all be really really busy and kind of forget all of these great um, resolutions that we made. This is sort of like the resolutions that you make at New Year's. Uh, I'm going to exercise more and drop a few pounds. And then by, you know, by the spring, you're busy and you're you're running around and you're kind of forgot about that. I would urge everybody to keep this, this thought process um, and, and these issues in the forefront of our brain so that when we get back to business, we don't forget and slip back into our comfort zones, the comfort zone being obviously the way we did business prior to the pandemic. So let's just keep this momentum going forward.
0: Couldn't have said it better myself. I will let you guys know in our Listeners don't know this, and and I've got no reason otherwise to really unveil this at this time for any other reason. But one thing that Sam, our quote unquote tech support, our own back of house here on this podcast, he's been with me for a number of years, and one thing that we do, in an ongoing basis, out of the these conversations that we have is we've been developing a list of reasonable standards and practices, a working document of how we think the industry should move forward, as well as a working document of the changes that we believe should be made coming out of this pandemic, getting back to work. Again, all based on these conversations. So to your point, Bill, we are actively engaged here in efforts to move this industry forward. As we come out of this, and I certainly hope that the momentum carries us out of it, and we do not fall back on, you know, as I would say, bad habits, old ways, you know, quote unquote, we've been doing it the same way for forty years, so why would we change anything? Well, it's a it's a
1: comfort zone. It's I call it the comfort
0: zone. But there's any number of reasons to do that, and and if there's a silver lining coming out of this coronication, as we call it. It's the opportunity to reflect, to adjust, and to move forward, and to make progress that is positive for the industry and for the world. And uh, we certainly appreciate your efforts. Dallas, anything else from you today?
2: Um, No, that was very insightful. And I think, you know, we,
1: as a female, I can second all that pain and, you know, not being talked to or being looked through and all the other horrible things that happen with that. So, um, but I think this is very informative and I will say it again, please make sure everybody registers and gets out and votes. Amen. Amen. And wear your mask and let's do some shows. (laughs) I miss shows. Let's get back to work. There it is
0: everybody. Lance Casey Jackson and Bill Reeves, roadies of color united. Check them out, support the cause, get on board, be a part of the change as Dallas just said, register to vote, then actually go to the polls and do it. Mail in if you can, just make your voice heard. And as we say, week after week after week, wear your fucking mask and yeah. wash your hands.
1: It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal to do to save your life or somebody else's life.
0: So thank you all and good night.